So far in this series, we've uh, explored the idea of gender and our identity, whether there is um, more than simply being male or female, as God designed it, is, is our understanding of who we are necessarily connected to our uh, sexual characteristics, and uh, we discovered that the answer is yes, uh, that that determines who we should think ourselves to be and how we act and how we dress and how we live. We also, uh, last week, looked at the issue of homosexuality and same-sex attraction, and we found it uh, to be a lifestyle that is deficient when it comes to experiencing the kinds of love that God has designed for all of humanity to have. And today, we're going to have more of a basic message focusing on who we are, really, as the Bible indicates, regarding humanity. Who are we as humans, and why are we that way? And this message is entitled, uh, Why We Are, Why You Are, Who You Are. And uh, you might remember, years ago, uh, the movie The Lion King. And in that movie, The Lion King, young Simba had a vision of his late father, Mufasa, and Mufasa appeared in the clouds, and Mufasa said to him, Simba, you have forgotten me. And Simba replied, no, how could I? And Mufasa said, you have forgotten who you are, and so forgotten me. Now that's a great moment in cinematic history, because not only did it inspire Simba to take his rightful place as king, but it also inspired a lifelike yet somehow lifeless remake of the whole movie 25 years later. But that idea that a person's identity is connected to the one who created him, well, that's a very powerful and true idea indeed. Very meaningful. And whether you realize it or not, your identity is intimately and intensely and eternally connected to your Creator, God. How you view God impacts how you view yourself. For example, you take someone who doesn't even believe that there is a God, that person will likely conclude about himself that he is simply uh, physical and not spiritual in any way, and this may have an effect, and I say it very well, would have an effect on how that person lives his life. If you think that all that there is to your existence is the 70 or 80 or 90 years here that you have on earth, and then you cease to exist, then that line of thinking will definitely produce certain outcomes in your life. And on the other hand, if you take someone who definitely does believe that there is a God, that person may conclude about himself that he is not only a physical being, but a spiritual being as well. And that belief, likewise, may have an effect on how he lives his life. And it could go much beyond, in fact, it does go much beyond the mere idea of whether God exists or not that has an impact on your self-image. Because the reality is that every characteristic of God that you believe he has impacts what you view about yourself. How you view God impacts how you view yourself. But Mufasa said it the other way around, didn't he? You have forgotten who you are, 
and so forgotten me, he said. You see, how you view yourself impacts how you view, how you view God. Now, do you believe that to be true? I do. And maybe it shouldn't be that way. You know, maybe it should be such that we search the scriptures to determine who God is and we allow that to impact who we believe ourselves to be. The reality of our experience, however, goes both ways. The connection that exists between God and you is so real and so close and so powerful that it affects how you understand the identity of both. And the reason for this connection that exists between your identity and the identity that you believe God has is this simple fact. He has made you in His image. If you take your Bible and turn to Genesis Chapter 1, we will read in verse 26 and 27 and 28. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, these very important words. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, if you want to know who you are and why you are who you are, you need to grasp what it really means to be made in the image of God. The very essence of who you are, the core of your very nature, is God's image. Let me try to explain. We've all known uh, girls that look like their mothers or, or sons that look like their fathers. Here on the screen behind me, you'll see a, a picture of a 28-year-old mother named Amanda Hermans with her five-year-old daughter, Ivy. They entered a mother-daughter look-alike contest, and not surprisingly, they won. I mean, Ivy looks incredibly similar to her mother. They have the exact same eye color, the same nose, the same cheeks, the same smile, even the right side of their top lips dip ever so slightly. And of course, what's most obvious is their bright red hair. When people see these two together, they say things like, well, she is just like her mother. Or they say something like, well, there's no doubt whose mother this girl belongs to. Or they might say, well, we'll know what she'll look like when she grows up. 
But it goes beyond looks, too. When you're made in the image of someone, it goes beyond looks, doesn't it? I mean, you've heard of the mother's curse, haven't you? Some of you have received the mother's curse. Usually, a mother will voice the mother's curse when her daughter is about 12 or 13 years old. And it goes like this. I hope that when you get married, you have children that act the same way that you do. Some of you finished the curse with me as I spoke it just now. And you know what? The mother's curse always comes to pass. It is inevitable. Our kids act just like we did when we were their age. They not only look like us, they act like us. And it's almost like in every way they are made in our image. Listen, you are made in the image of God, every single one of you. The image of God is the essence of your nature, of who you are. The attributes that God has, you can relate to. What do I mean by that? Well, let's think about it for a minute. God has all knowledge. Now, you don't have all knowledge, and neither do I. But you do have knowledge, don't you? You do have knowledge of the physical world and the spiritual world as well, spiritual realities. Likewise, God has all power. Now, you, a limited being, do not have all power, but you do have authority and power that God has given you over certain things, don't you? God has free will, the ability to do as He pleases. Likewise, you have free will too, albeit within the realm of your limitations. And we know that God is, by His very nature, love. Being made in His image, you and every human on the earth has the ability to love. Now, animals are not made in the image of God. Now, certainly, they may have characteristics that are amazing in different ways, but they are not imagers of the Creator God. None of us would look at a snail or a cat or a fish or a monkey and think, you know what, that creature is just like God. Actually, no. None of us would think that. That would be a blasphemous thought if we did. But we can and often do look at a person who has walked with God for many years and say something like this. He is a godly man. She is a godly woman. We might say, well, there's no doubt who he or she belongs to. We might even be able to observe that person, when they grow up all the way spiritually, is becoming the image of Christ. And so the image of God, it is the very essence of who you are. Secondly, the image of God defines your role. You are, here's who you are as an imager of God. 
You are one of God's royal vice regents who exercises authority over the earth. God puts it this way in the verses we read. Have dominion, fill the earth, and subdue it. Having dominion over the earth does not mean that we can run roughshod over His creation. No, God's earth still belongs to Him. Every creature on God's earth still belongs to Him. God owns it. He's the owner. But we are the managers. Having dominion is simply this. God is king. He rules the world. And He has given us rule over His world as royal vice regents. We are God's kingly ambassadors. We represent Him everywhere we go. We rule over the land and the creature, creatures and over every single created thing. And to the extent of our limitations as created beings, God has left us in charge of His world. So, the image of God is the essence of who we are. It, it defines our identity as God's royal representatives on the earth. And it also establishes and defines another very important function that we have, and that's the function of relationships. We have three continuous, ongoing relationships. First, we relate to God. It is God who created us, as we just read in these verses. God said, let us make man in our image. And so all humans, believers and unbelievers, relate to God as creator, as he, he is the creator of them. And all believers, in particular, also relate to God in a more intimate way as Savior. And so we relate to God. At the same time, we relate to one another. We relate to other imagers of God. Male and female, He created them. So we relate to one another most perfectly and most intimately in marriage as husband and wife. In fact, as we saw last week, the very next chapter of Genesis, in Genesis 2, ends with God giving the man, Adam, a perfect complementary relationship and a wife. And we'll look at this relationship more closely in a few weeks. But we relate to one another. And finally, we relate not only to God at the same time that we relate to one another, but also at the same time we relate to God's world. Be fruitful and multiply, he said. Fill the earth and subdue it. God, by His very nature, is relational. He is one God existing in three persons in perfect love and harmony. And as His image bearers, we are also relational beings. God made us for relationships. And that, by the way, is why so many people are having such a hard time this year with the pandemic being isolated more than ever. From other people. It's not the way God created us to be. So, big picture God created us in His image. We are royal vice regents, and as such, we maintain a relationship to Him, a relationship to other imagers of God, and a relationship to God's world. But you know what? Sometimes we don't reflect God's nature very well, do we? 
Sometimes our relationship to God is not right. Sometimes our relationship to one another, even our spouse, is not right. And sometimes we don't treat God's creation right. Why do we fail at imaging God so often? Well, it's because of something theologians call the fall. We're talking about Adam and Eve's sin against God. In short, that event messed things up. We read about the fall of humanity in Genesis 3. And there's a lot to process in Genesis 3, and we don't have time for all of it. But for today, I want to focus on the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin against God because it is those consequences that can greatly help us understand who we are today. You see, after Adam disobeyed God, God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. In other words, the creation that the man was to exercise dominion over will now be uncooperative in the man's efforts. The man will have to work extra hard to exercise dominion over the earth. What about the woman? Part of God's original command to humanity, as you remember, was to be fruitful and multiply. But Adam could not do this alone. So God formed Adam, from Adam, a woman to be at his side. And together, the couple could be fruitful and multiply and fulfill that part of God's command as imagers. But because Eve was deceived by the serpent and misled her husband and sinned against God, God said to her, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Again, God originally said to be fruitful and multiply, but because of Eve's disobedience, something else would be multiplied. Her pain. The very act of fruitful multiplication would result in pain for the woman. Now, the fall of humanity, as damaging as it was, it did not obliterate the image of God in us. God's twofold command still stands. God said, have dominion over the earth as my royal representatives. And secondly, God said, be fruitful and multiply. That still stands today. But now, because of Adam and Eve's sin, neither of those two things would come easily. The curse on Adam made our ability to have dominion over the earth very difficult and toilsome. And the curse on Eve made our ability to be, fruitful, to be fruitful and to multiply very difficult and toilsome as well. The fall of humanity had other devastating effects too. When Adam and Eve sinned, it affected our relationships. The relationships, those three relationships God created us for, the relationship to God himself, the relationship to other imagers of God, and the relationship to God's world have all been damaged or sometimes even broken. For example, there are some people who pollute the earth for the sake of greed. There are anarchists who set fires to great forests and neighborhoods, causing tremendous devastation. In our relationships to one another, sins and misunderstandings have des destroyed many friendships and even many marriages. And even our relationship with God has been broken. He is a holy God, 
He is a holy God. In our disobedience, in our sin, it is an affront to Him. It's as if that sin of Adam and Eve created a great chasm between God and us. The fall of humanity, Adam and Eve's sin, also introduced something else into the mix. A great enemy, our greatest enemy, the enemy of death. Because of the fall, we live in a world of brokenness and confusion and sickness and now death. Because of the fall, we, the imagers of God, his royal vice regents, we do an inadequate job of having dominion over the earth. We are imagers of God who have broken relationships. We are imagers of God who suffer the pains of death. But fortunately, the fall of humanity was not the end of the story. You see, God is carrying out His plan of redemption. See, about 2,000 years ago, the eternal Son of God became a human. He was born of a woman, and He is the promised offspring of Eve. You see, in that same chapter in Genesis 3, when God is handing out the curses, listen to what God said to the serpent. God said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he, the woman's seed, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. By cursing the serpent this way, God was promising humanity that a Savior would come. And this Savior would be born of a woman, her seed, but apparently not by means of a man. The fulfillment of that promise, the virgin-born Son of God become human, the eternal Son of God. He is the perfect image of God. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. This person is Jesus of Nazareth. He is our Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And Jesus offered His life as a sacrifice. He died on the cross as a substitute for you to pay your penalty and mine, the penalty of our sins. And Jesus rose from the grave and he calls people to repent and to believe in him. And if you decide to trust Jesus and follow him, you will be made, the Bible says, into a new creation and you will be united to him. Christ redeems us from humanity's fall. Christ saves us from what Adam and Eve did and the consequences of it. And not only does Jesus redeem us who believe in Him, but He promises to restore us. When Christ returns, the Bible says, 
we will dwell with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. We will live in resurrected, perfected, glorified bodies that will never decay and that will never die. Even the earth itself will be restored. Romans 8.21 says the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of us, the children of God. Now, God extends an invitation to you. God calls you to believe that you are made in His image. He designed you to be his, one of His royal representatives on earth, to serve Him, to serve His other imagers, and to serve His world, as we all should work together to make this world better. God calls you to believe that the fall of humanity has negatively affected our relationships to God, to one another, and to this world. It even introduced death into our experience. God calls you to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died as a cross, as a on the cross as a substitute and as a payment for our sins. And God calls you to believe that through Christ, He will restore not only all creation, but each and every believer in Him. He will resurrect us, and, he, and we will forever serve God in a new heaven and a new earth. Today, if you're willing to begin a dialogue about your spiritual journey with God, I would invite you to text me at 806-375-4240. If you have questions that you would like for me to answer, you can text me those questions at that same number. Today can be your very first day of walking with God. The very first day of your entire eternity where you can follow Jesus. That's the invitation to you today. Would you follow him? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us in your image, that you've given us the understanding that we need to see what the problem is, and the problem is the sin within us. And Father, I thank you that you made a way for that sin to be forgiven. You made a way for us to be redeemed. And you've promised, Father, that we will also be restored. We will live together with you for all eternity. And Father, I thank you that you give us faith to believe these things the faith that we need to follow Jesus today. Let this happen with one person who is listening to this message. Father, speak to their hearts. Compel them to respond. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.